be here with you today. I'm glad to get an opportunity to share from the Word with you guys. Um, as I thought of um, my lesson today, and, and the, the verse that kind of stuck out to me was on humility, I started, well, you know, we all have those moments where something embarrassing happens, or you get humbled, and I... Um, I went to a really good high school for baseball, and as a 10th grader, I got called up to varsity, and I was pretty full of myself for getting called up to varsity. Um, <clears throat> we, uh, we had a great team, and I just took great pride in being the fastest guy on that team, and I mean, I could just fly around those bases, and a lot of times, even in practice, if we were in a pickle situation and we were practicing being, or it, it, where we had a runner caught between the bases, I'd be that runner caught between the bases and they'd try to get me out and I would just have so much fun being faster than everybody. I bring that up because one day I got to practice and my coach said, Dennis, they're having a track meet today. I want you to go participate in the track meet. So there I was in my baseball stuff with my baseball cleats on. I'd never run anything near track in my entire life. And so I just, well, okay, coach. So I went and talked to the track coach, and he said, I'm going to have you run the 100. So I got over to where they were, they were about to start, and all these guys were kind of getting down in their, their, in their blocks, which I had never done before, but I just kind of attempted to do what they were doing. And got down in the blocks, and the gun went off. They were gone. I mean, way gone. And I was just kind of still there in the blocks. And so I ended up probably, you know, 10 seconds behind everybody else just trying to catch up. And I was, I was a little embarrassed. I was a little embarrassed at that. Um, but I was determined that the next time the guy, because I, I was supposed to run in another one. And he said, okay, now I want you to run the 400. And I was determined that that gun went off, and I would just, I was gone, I was off like a shot. And so the gun goes off, and I, boom, I just started sprinting as hard as I could. I mean, just running with everything I had. And I got three quarters of the way around the track, and something happened that I'd never experienced before. Because, you know, bases aren't 400, so I'd never run a 400, just straight sprinted. And my, something happened to my body that I couldn't control, it was nothing that I could do about it, but I just couldn't run anymore. I was trying just as hard as I could to put one foot in front of the other, but that's all I was doing. And these guys, boom, 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 passing me by. And again, I finished dead last, two races in a row. <sighs> My coach's lesson kind of sunk in. It took a while, but I, I got what he was trying to tell me. You know, just because you're hot stuff on a baseball diamond, you're not a fast runner. <laughs> you're nowhere close to good, a fast runner. So <clears throat> that's, the thought, that's one of the stories that I thought of as I got to my passage today. Um, this is the verse that I really focused on, but I want, you, I want to read the entire section with you. So if you want to turn to First Peter chapter 5, verse 5, that's where I'm starting. Halfway through, actually, because our verses sometimes don't exactly match up with the way the thoughts are divided. And so this verse halfway through is where the, start, the thought kind of starts. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand 
that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are all undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will, he, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And amen. I, I, I've, I've loved that passage for a long time, and I've done a lot of work with that passage, but I've always started in verse 6. And for whatever reason, this last time I was reading through, verse 5, clothe yourselves with humility, really caught my eye. Clothe yourself with humility. What does that look like? What, is, what do clothes that are made of humble look like? Well, here they are. I don't know if you guys are Potter fans or not, but what kind of clothing is humility? I, I think of Dobby. I think of just this raggedy kind of shift, maybe an old pillowcase, maybe a piece of, of, of uh, burlap that's kind of tied together on one shoulder, barely covers his frame. If I go back and try to tie this to Greek culture, in Greek society and Roman society, there was a basic garment that you could wear. And everybody wore it, kind of the, the toga kind of thing that we've seen a lot. Everybody wore that. But the higher you got in society, the more other pieces of clothing you got to wear. But the slaves, they just wore what Dobby wore. The slaves wore what Dobby wore. What is humility to clothing? What clothe yourself in humility? Probably a lot like that. So that's a mental picture for you to have. And on the other side, of course, we got Lucius Malfoy. Every stitch of his clothing is finely tailored. His, his shirt probably costs thousands of dollars. He's got a gold cane and a gold ring. And everything about him just speaks of affluence and, and uh, just an overwhelming amount of luxury. Perhaps that's what pride looks like. Clothing yourself with everything that makes you look good, possibly. That's what pride looks like. So think about those two things as we go through our points. Now, I thought to myself, too, as I went through this, this lesson, uh, do I even need to talk about this? I mean, I have some pride, but for the most part, I'm just kind of a humble guy just going about his day-to-day -day stuff. I don't, you know, think I'm better than anybody else, and I don't, you know try to flaunt my wealth, which I don't have, or anything like that, you know? I, so does this lesson even apply to us kind of Joe Schmoes out there? Shouldn't this be something for the wealthy of the world or something like that? And I, I started thinking about, well, okay, what if, what if there are places in our lives that are kind of hidden, kind of hidden pockets of pride? Not, not things that we normally associate with pride, or maybe we do a little bit, but Things that definitely our culture has decided, you know, you can be proud about this. Or you can, you can go ahead and brag about this. And so we kind of have accepted that this is an okay thing to be proud about. And so I, started to, I tried to find some pockets, some little areas where we might need to work on our 
humility or work on getting rid of pride in our lives because as I wrote in the bulletin, I, I, I find it hard to find anything in Scripture that God doesn't like less or likes less than pride. He seems to really have a thing against pride. So um, I think we probably need to work on it as much as possible. The first one I wanted to look at is the pride of, of competition. Um, this comes thinking of things like I'm better than or... Um, maybe I won. And that's something that our culture is perfectly fine with people being proud about. We're, we're, we're fine with if, we, if we're better than or if, we're, if, we're, if we won at something. In fact, we have kind of a culture where we seek to win and we seek to be better than those around us. And it's easy for us to kind of get dragged into that way of looking at, at life. And um, I thought... As I was thinking about that kind of mentality, I thought of a couple of things. One was Henry Nouwen is one of my favorite writers, and his quote in one of his books that caught my attention a long time ago, and has still kind of tried, I've tried to frame my mind around it, is he's, he writes, competition is the opposite of compassion. And I thought to myself, whoa, okay, I need to take a step back, because I was a fairly competitive person, and if you know me now, I'm just... I'm, I'm really not anymore. I, I could, I've stopped caring whether I win. Um, the other thing I thought of was Jesus and Simon the Pharisee. He goes to this guy's house in Luke chapter 7, and he has dinner with him. And we find out later, but I'll tell you in, uh, right now, this guy doesn't offer Jesus the, even the most normal courtesies of the day. He doesn't have his servants wash Jesus' feet. He doesn't give Jesus oil for his beard so that he can eat without dust getting in his mouth. He's just, he's very arrogant. And in his perspective, in his mind, the reason why is he's just better. He's better than Jesus. Jesus is of a lower level than him. And he does not have to treat Jesus the way he expects to be treated himself because he's better. Because he's better. Um... I'll get to the rest of it in the next point. But the idea is, what, what does that competitiveness do to you? Maybe it doesn't. Maybe you're not a competitive person. Maybe this isn't something you've ever struggled with. But I know in our culture this is something that we have to be careful of because we tend to even sometimes get to the point where we won't play because we know we won't win. Or we get so angry when we play that nobody wants to play with us. You know, there is a pride there, a, a kind of hidden pride that we have to be careful of. One of, the, one, of the, or one of the questions I want you to ask yourself is, can you lose without anger? Um, my oldest son cannot. And so none of his siblings really ever want to play with him because he cannot lose without getting upset about, about losing. The second uh, pocket of pride that I wanted us to look at is a pride of concealment. Um, no one knows, or I'm too embarrassed. We just have so many things in our lives that we have hidden, that we hide from each other, that we try somehow to hide from God, or at least we don't admit them to God. And I thought, okay, why is it? Is it shame? Yes, it's shame. Guilt? Yes, it's guilt. 
But why are we shamed or guilty? It's because we're proud. It's because we have a pride in us that doesn't want to admit that we're wrong, that we did something, that we messed up, that we're wrong. Um, And so I think of that, and I think of this other aspect of this parable, or this, this story of Jesus and Simon the Pharisee. There they are at the house, and this woman comes in, and she has lived a bad life. If Jesus is considered below Simon the Pharisee, this woman is, I don't know, the bottom of the ladder. Shouldn't even be in the same city as him. And he, she comes in, she's weeping so hard, she's able to wash Jesus' feet with her tears, and is able to, and then she dries her, his dirty, nasty feet with her hair, and she, and so just this beautiful image of this woman who is is so broken, and so able to be completely humble and not doesn't care about being humiliated, and Simon the Pharisee thinks in his heart. He says, "Ah, if if Jesus, if he really were a prophet, if he really were somebody special, he would know who that was." who was washing his feet. He wouldn't let her touch him. Jesus, knowing what Simon the Pharisee is thinking, says to him, hey, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon says, yes. He says, there are two people. One owed a guy 500 bucks, and the other owed him 5 million bucks. And the guy forgave both the debts. Now, which debt debtor is going to love this guy more? And Simon says, well, I suppose the one who owed him more money. And Jesus says, that's right. Why do I bring that up here? Did Simon owe a lot of money to God? In other words, did Simon owe God spiritual money? Yes. It's not that he didn't owe. It's that he didn't know or that he chose to ignore or he chose to hide and conceal or he chose to cover up his debt. And in his pride, he, in his arrogance, he thought himself high, high enough maybe not even to need God's forgiveness. He'd done all the things that God wanted him to do, so he was perfectly fine. He didn't need God's forgiveness. Jesus says, the one who loves much, the one who's been forgiven much, loves much. And the one who's been forgiven little, loves little. If we conceal, if we hide the mistakes of our life, if we hide the things that we've done wrong, what ends up happening is we don't seek forgiveness for them. We don't seek healing for them. And because we've been forgiven little, we love little. It's, a, it's, a, it's an effect. It's a kind of a rolling effect that that kind of situation has. Do I, am I trying to say, okay, go to everybody that you've ever hurt and tell them what you've done? That might be good. But really, I think the primary person is God here. You need to spend time just telling God your mistakes. Does he know them already? Yes, he does. But there's a, there's a, there's a humbling that happens. There's a, a breaking down that happens in your relationship with him if you take the time to just really talk about the messes that you've made. If you take time to talk about the disobedience in your life. Okay. My question here is, can you honestly confess your sins in prayer? Can you honestly confess your sins to a friend? 
think about whether or not, I, I'm not saying you have to go and blurt everything you've ever done to everybody. But what I'm saying is, is pride getting in the way? That's what I'm asking you to think about. Is pride getting in the way of a kind of open life? An open life that admits faults and admits mistakes. Okay, next, pride of independence. And this is a big one for our country, for our society. We, we take pride in being an independent people. And so there's some ways that that's an okay thing probably, but it's just you have to be careful. You have to be careful about pride of independence. I don't need help or I can make it on my own without any help from anybody else. We tend to think that way. In fact, we... We only come to people as a last resort a lot of times. We don't think ahead of time, well, I'm going to just talk to this person about it because I'm not sure if I can do it myself. Usually I watch three YouTube videos on self-help and, and maybe break a few things and have a couple of trips to Home Depot before I finally admit to myself, okay, I could have just called Joe and he could have come over and helped me. You know, so it just, it's that kind of mentality that, that really is a pride that we have to be careful of, that, that we have to let people in and we have to let people help us and we have to be okay, more than okay with that. We have to be humble about it. Um... A centurion is a pretty powerful person in the Roman army. Uh, he's got a lot of pull. He's got people underneath him. And he's just got, he's got a powerful presence in the Roman army. He can get a lot of things done just by barking out an order. He, he's in a position to take care of a lot of things. But this centurion that we see in Luke, he's got a, a servant who is ill. And you can't do what needs to be, or and he can't do anything about it. I, he's probably tried doctors. In fact, that's kind of a theme in Matthew and in Luke is people trying other ways and finally coming to Jesus. Um, but that's what the centurion does: is finally he sends the leaders, the elders of his village, where he's stationed, the Jewish elders, to Jesus, and they come to him and say, "Hey, this guy, he's not your typical Roman." And he's even, he even helped build our synagogue. So really, you should help him. And so Jesus goes with them, and he gets near this guy's house. And this guy sends out some messengers and says, Hey, Jesus, don't come to my house. I don't really deserve your, to have you in my house. But I know who you are. And I know just as I command people, and I tell them to go or tell them to come, and they obey my orders, I know you can do this. I know it will be taken care of. And Jesus marvels at the centurion's faith. And he says, wow, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. And the, the messengers go home to find the servant healed. How hard is it to ask for help? Some of us, it's perfectly easy. Some of us, it's really difficult but independence finds its way in, in a lot of ways. The pride of independence can, can be something that we struggle with, each of us individually. Um, how bad does it have to get before you ask for help might be something you need to think about. How honest with yourself are you about when you need help? I look at our prayer life in particular when I think about this one. What is, what is my prayer life like? I... Do I start my day, and this is how I should start my day. Do I start my day with, God, I need your help today. Rarely, rarely. It's not until my day is such a mess 
that then I go, God, I need your help, you know? It's more of a preemptive strike. It's more of an attitude thing where if you just start your day just confessing, just being in a place where you humbly acknowledge your need for help, it just, I think, maybe he, he starts helping the whole way through instead of us trying to bull our way through on our own and end up in a, in a mess, as we often do. The last pocket of pride I want to look at is hurt pride. It's... Um, It's probably, well, I struggle with all of these, to be honest. But uh, this one I probably struggle with uh, most. I just, I don't like criticism. Just don't like it. I, it, it it's, hard to, it's hard to swallow my pride and accept somebody's oftentimes attempt to be helpful in criticizing me. Uh, I just, you know, that's a piece of pride that I I struggle with tremendously. And so this one, I left for last. Um, someone says something mean. Someone says something out of turn. Someone says something to, you know, interrupt what I'm saying. And I just think that's rude. Oh, and I just start getting mad um, that they interrupt me. Or, um, of course, classically, you know, they say something mean to me. And I'm like, so's your mom, you know. So, um I don't often say that anymore, but that I, I, I say things maybe like it or that, that replace it um, because it's just so easy when someone criticizes instead of to try to actually take it in and think about it and maybe make some changes. It's so easy just to retaliate, just to find something that they have that's wrong, say, that find something that's that, that you don't like about them or that they're messing up in, you know, and, and really sticking it to them back. It's just so hard. Pride gets in the way so much on this one. We, we don't like people criticizing us. We don't like people talking to us, even if it's trying to be helpful. A lot of us get defensive. And so really that is an aspect of pride that is so dangerous because that one leads to their hurt pride. And then it's like this bad cycle of hurt pride back and forth. Instead of you just saying, thank you for telling me about that. Instead of me just saying, I don't like hearing that, but I know I needed to hear it. I'll work on that. And I won't mention the five things that you... No. Okay, you just, it's so hard not to. Because you want to say, hey... So what? I've got this speck in my eye. You've got a log in yours. It's so hard to just instead internalize and just release all of that pride and say and just accept someone being critical of you. And it, maybe in a nice way, a suggestive way. It doesn't have, but even, but especially when it's rude. That's when it's the most hard, right? Especially when they mean it to hurt you. Then how do you take criticism? Again, we have to watch our pride in that. We have to watch our pride. Um, I like changing the title of this parable, the spendthrift brother, the spendthrift's brother, because nobody knows what prodigal means anymore. I asked my my students this this year at, at my college where I teach. I asked them what does prodigal mean. And most of them thought somebody who runs away, and I think that's a common thought that it's somebody who runs away. But prodigal means someone who spends everything they have and spends it wastefully. And so that's what prodigal son means. And so the spendthrift's brother, I think, is a better maybe name for this parable. Or a father and two sons might be a better name for this parable. I'm not sure. But when I think about this parable in context of pride, it's certainly the older brother. 
that I look at as the one who just is so full of pride, who just can't take it. You know, he, he, he should have. I mean, it, it would have been, been the right thing to do when his younger brother came to his dad and said, hey, I hate you. I want your money. I wish you were dead. The older brother should have said, how dare you? How dare you speak to our father this way? But do you know what he does instead in the parable? He takes the money too. The father divides the money between his two sons. He's okay taking the money. Interesting. Gets to the end of the parable. Boy, does he get upset when his spendthrift brother comes home after spending, wasting all his dad's money on terrible things. His dad throws him this huge party. And he's looking at all that waste, maybe. Or maybe he's just looking at the fact, what, what he says to his dad. I'm not going to the party. Goes, dad goes out and says, why not? And he says, hey, I've been working for you this whole time. You don't give me even a little goat to, to, spend with my, to share with my friends. I don't get to throw any kind. You've never thrown me any kind of party. What's his pride so concerned about? What's he, what's he so angry about? Why is he so upset? His dad says, hey, all that I have is yours. Just come in. Shouldn't we celebrate that your brother who was dead is alive? That he was lost and now he's found? And the parable ends there. We never know what the brother does. But there he is in his hurt pride. And look what it does to his family. He had a chance to join his dad, to join his family in celebration of an idiot who learned his lesson. And he chooses, probably chooses, in my opinion, probably chooses not to because of his hurt pride. Okay. So, I like this quote from C.S. Lewis. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And certainly that's probably the, one of the cruxes of this passage. In fact, when it says clothe yourself with humility, it says clothe yourself with humility toward one another. And so there's this idea of if you think of yourself less, well, then who are you going to fill your thoughts with? Hopefully, the ones around you. So clothe yourself with humility toward one another. We're supposed to be humble towards each other. There's supposed to be this idea of instead of I'm better than, I'm less than. And maybe if I'm less than, how can I serve you? And that's maybe where we could be. That's maybe where we should be in our relationships to each other is this place of, of service for each other. And a lot of us, I know, love to serve. And, so I'm, and I appreciate that. But this is just kind of a reminder that humility means thinking less of yourself. No, thinking of yourself less, not thinking less of yourself. It doesn't mean you beat on yourself. It means that you just don't think about yourself that much. And of course, it also means that you, don't, that you think mostly about God. Um, where does your self-worth come from? I asked that question to myself because I love affirmation. I love people coming up to me and saying, good job, awesome lesson. 
So, you know, come on after the... No. But I, I love affirmation. I love people t- t- talking to me that way. But is that where I should get my self-worth from? Where should I get my self-worth from? Um, and really, the, the point is, is that it, it comes from God. It depends. What does God think of me? And I love the idea of not doing things to try to impress God, but instead doing things because he's already been 100% in my corner, is impressed by me, has chosen me to be his child, considers me worthy. He loves me completely and considers me, he's so proud of me, he considers me deeply, deeply special, and out of that should flow what I do for the Lord, not out of an attempt to impress him. So uh, I think just maybe helping, I hope that helps you because it helps me with my self-worth a little bit. Um, Am I a Dobby or am I Malfoy? Uh, It's just a a little thing, maybe. I don't know if this sticks with you or not. Again, you have to be somebody who likes Potter, I guess. But um, examine yourself. What makes you angry? Is it something that's okay? Or is it something that is because you're of your pride what makes you bitter is this something that's is there anything that's okay to be bitter about probably not but there are plenty of us that get bitter um about things and a lot of times you look back and you realize that it was pride that put you in the position to become bitter what are you afraid of are you afraid of being thought less are you afraid of being treated poorly? Um, how does pride affect your life in negative ways? Some more questions that I have for you on this is, can you listen to someone's opinion that differs from yours peacefully? In sports, in politics, There are so many areas where we have become so polarized that I think we don't even know how insidious pride has gotten. When we can't speak peacefully and humbly to somebody on any given issue, there's probably a problem with pride there. So you need to be careful with that. Just look at it carefully. It's okay to disagree. I'm not saying it's not okay to disagree. But be careful in how you do it and careful in how you approach it. Um, can you give God your responsibilities and worries? This is how one of the, this is one of the pieces of this passage that always strikes me. Cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Can you give God your responsibilities and your worries? Can you lay them upon him or do you bear them pretty much by yourself? Um, can your brothers and sisters... Can you give your brothers and sisters your concerns and your weaknesses? Um, Confession is a difficult thing. Uh, I think it does need to be done with God. And I think there probably should be people in our lives that we talk to about our struggles. But it's... It's tricky because you're having to put so much trust in someone. And so it's hard in our society where we are so isolated, both 
just in society in general, but even in church, we, we don't spend a lot of time with each other. It's hard to even develop the relationships necessary to trust each other enough to share what we're doing that we shouldn't be doing with each other, to share those moments of, of weakness or, 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 or struggles with each other. So this is something that I think is, man, just such a, a challenging thing, but it would make you humble. It does humble you when you share those weaknesses with others. It, it keeps, you, keeps you grounded. It keeps you from thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. And then whose approval do you seek um, is another question to think about. Uh, do you need anybody's approval? I don't need anybody's approval. Where's, where's your pride speaking there? In, in, instead of pride, I think what I can offer you is surrender. Um, and specifically these desires. Surrender the desire to win or the desire to be better. Some of you can win gracefully, and I applaud you for that. Um, but most of us, this is a matter of pride. And when we seek to win, uh, to be better, it ends up making us proud. And so you have to be able to surrender that desire. Surrender the desire to hide your sins and your mistakes. The desire not to depend on others and the desire to avoid criticism. <sighs> I'm pretty much preaching to myself, guys. I hope you're getting something out of this. But these are things that I'm, I'm struggling with, and, and so I, I decided to share them with you. Another thing that I can offer you is submission. Uh, it's similar to surrender. It might be the same thing in a way, but it's just that ability to um, put yourself beneath, to will, willingly put yourself under somebody else. And in this case, I thought of the sinful woman, how she is, was perfectly willing to humiliate, humiliate herself because she was so grateful. She was so passionate about what Jesus had done for her that she just it was it was no big deal to humiliate herself in in such a way um, to go to the house of someone she knew would sneer at her would look down at her and to use her hair to wipe dirty feet clean you know just didn't even bother her because that's where her heart was that's where her she was in her humility and her gratitude I think of Zacchaeus this short guy who just wanted to see Jesus but it's, it's, they're not, they're not wearing pants, guys. He, to get up in a tree as an adult is, is a shameful thing. It's, it's not what we really think about, you know. He's, 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 he's putting his dignity on the line to do this. He's completely humiliating himself. For, for one, everybody calls him shorty anyway, and so they're probably laughing at him for getting up in that tree. And for another thing, they can see his legs, so it's, it's a humiliating situation. He's willing to do it. He's willing to humble himself. He's willing to submit himself to humility. Um, and of course, our ultimate uh, uh, humble uh, example is Christ and the way that he just was willing to not grasp heaven, to not grasp deity, and to humble himself and become a servant, to become a slave. To put on that garment and wear it hum humbly, even though he didn't have to. Um, 
I wanted you to remember that the Father loves you. That your self-worth is wrapped up in Him. If you know the Father loves you, you know that what you, you do what you do not to gain approval. You do it because you've been approved already. So keep that in mind. Remember that. Because a lot of times, I think, we backdoor our way into pride by um, a sense of unworthiness. And it kind of almost creates this reaction of wanting to kind of be proud about it. <clears throat> so what's the problem with pride? This is probably the biggest problem in my opinion. Or one of the biggest problems. It's a, it's a burden. It weighs you down. Um, there's a couple of yokes up there. Um, one is this water bearer yoke where one person is, is being able to carry two buckets of water by themselves. And the other is the ox uh, type of yoke where you yoke two oxen into a yoke. Um, there are um, examples of slaves being put into those yokes instead of oxen. And so I think that, that's, that that might be significant to what Jesus says here. Um, Come to me, all you who, are labor, who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. <sighs> what would it be like to take up the yoke? I mean, most of the time it's, it's hard labor. It's, it's slave labor at, at best. And to take up a yoke and look over and Jesus is on the other side, would that make it easier? That's, what he's, that's the image he's projecting. He's saying, hey, you don't have to do this alone. I'll take my yoke and we'll carry it together. We'll carry this life together. And it, it's a beautiful image because it, it takes humility to follow Jesus' path um, when he says, take up my cross, we know it's a pretty embarrassing thing, a cross. We know that the early Christians really struggled with just the how, how humiliating of a type of death that was. It was not an easy thing to say, yeah, I worship someone who was killed in the most embarrassing, humiliating, shameful way that the Romans have found to, to, to kill somebody. People kind of looked at him like, that doesn't even make sense. So it was embarrassing to even have the idea of taking up a cross. But that is, the, that is, I think, the yoke that we're supposed to take up is the cross because it's a humbling yoke. Here's a little checklist for you. You are getting closer to humble if you can lose gracefully, if you can admit your failures, if you can ask easily for help, and if you can take criticism gracefully. Got a lot of work to do on that checklist, y'all. <clears throat> Clothe yourselves. Put on, maybe take off a lot of the other things that you have on and instead put on humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And don't I need that grace? To finish, I wanted to share this one uh, little story from Aesop. My kids love Aesop's fables. The Wolf and the Lion. Roaming by the mountainside at sundown, a wolf saw his own shadow become greatly extended and magnified. He said to himself, Why should I, being of such immense size and extending nearly an acre in length, be afraid of the lion? 
Ought I not to be acknowledged as the king of the collected beasts? While he was indulging in these thoughts, a lion fell upon him and killed him. He exclaimed with a too late repentance, Wretched me! This overestimation of myself is the cause of my destruction. You probably know Aesop always comes with a little um, moral to his fable, and the moral to that one is pride comes before a fall. Um, God says it too clearly. Pride is dangerous. Pride can eat at you. It can eat at your relationship with other people. It can eat at your relationship with God. So work hard. We need to work hard to humble ourselves, to watch out for those competitive moments, competitive times in our life, watch out for those tendencies to bite back against criticism, watch out for those moments when we take, think too much of ourselves than we ought. I pray that this will bless you. I pray that you will have a week where... God is able to be seen in your humility and in your humble, humble attitude towards others. Let's end with a prayer. Dear Father, it's all too often that um, I think of myself in terms of what others think of me. It's all too often that I seek my worth outside of you. There are so many times where my pride gets in the way of my ability to share you with those around me. It gets in my it gets in the way of me having peaceful, sweet, loving relationships with the people in my life. Lord, I pray that we can clothe ourselves with humility, that we can put on the garment that your son wore. That we can take his yoke and that we can walk a road that is much less traveled in this life. That we can walk the road of humility. It's in your son's powerful name we pray. Amen.